0: This is The Paul Kirtley Podcast, episode 38.
1: The Paul Kirtley Podcast. Wilderness, bushcraft, survival skills and outdoor life. Days of the trip were winding down and I kind of realised, like, just just being out there and being in this untouched country, there was no trails, it was trackless and Just brilliant you know Mm. crazy crazy you know natural experiences i've seen a lot of moose uh you know i think i've seen something like 16 17 moose i caught a bunch of brook trout and i live the life you know uh the life which i became fascinated about uh in my readings like some of the the
0: hello and welcome to episode 38 of the paul kirtley podcast My guest today is Justin Barber, also known as the Newfoundland Explorer, and you've just heard a tiny part of the conversation between Justin and me that comprises this podcast episode. In the conversation, we get into how Justin's wilderness adventures escalated from a night or two in the bush to much grander things, and at what point and why the Newfoundland Explorer name arrived should be noted that since then, Justin has had some big adventures in his native Newfoundland and Labrador, and we get right into the details within this podcast. But to start you off with some idea of what Justin's been up to, in the spring of 2017, Justin and his dog Saku set off on a traverse of Newfoundland. Starting on snowshoes and hauling a sled, Justin switched to backpacking and pack rafting once the conditions allowed. 68 days and 700 kilometres later, Justin and Saku had crossed the island of Newfoundland from west to east, beginning on the Gulf of St Lawrence and ending up in Cape Broil on the Atlantic Ocean. Justin has produced a series of videos on this trip, and these are definitely worth watching. I'll link to these and other relevant links in the show notes at paulkirtley.co.uk forward slash podcast 38. That's forward slash podcast 38, all one word, as it were. So check those out, links and photos. Justin described this journey across his homeland as a big challenge and an unforgettable blessing. And this duality of challenge versus being fortunate to experience these things comes out right across the conversation. Should be noted as well, while we're thinking about the wilderness of Newfoundland, it's considerably less densely populated even than Canada as a whole, which is in itself not particularly tensely populated, and the interior of Newfoundland is largely remote wilderness. If that wasn't enough, in 2018 Justin took on an even bigger challenge, this time in Labrador, the mainland part of the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada of course. We discuss these wilderness journeys, the skills he needed, the lessons he learned, and much more. Plus, we touch on what's next for Justin and his faithful companion, Saku. So, without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Justin Barber. Well, I am very glad to say hello to Justin Barber, who is on the other side of the pond. How are you doing today, Justin?
1: Doing great, Paul. Excellent. Sipping on a cup of tea, you know?
0: <laughs> cup of tea. <laughs> Excellent. Good man. Good man. What type of tea is it?
1: It's Tetley tea. Excellent. Uh, uh, Excellent. Is there Tetley over your way? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I wasn't sure. I don't, I'm not sure if that's, that's a worldwide brand, is it not? Yeah. yeah
0: I, think, I think it began in the UK. Uh, it's nice to see it's, you know.
1: Sounds UKish, I guess. Yeah. Big Newfoundlanders enjoy their cup of Tetley tea.
0: Good. I'm glad to hear it. So i'm liking the place more already if you like a good cup of tea that's uh we have lots in common we have lots in common so justin um we were talking a little bit before we started recording here about how we first kind of got to know about each other and i i followed you on instagram for some time and you know i've sort of seen snapshots and snippets of your exploits some of which have looked quite quite grueling at times in some stunning places as well and we'll get into those trips but i think what would be useful for listeners that don't know you is just to give a little bit of background about yourself um you know how you came to be adventuring in some pretty rugged places what's what brought you to this
1: Hmm. yeah yeah it's been a bit of a kind of Come full circle, type thing, I guess, with mm. me. Uh, you know, I'm. I turned 31 now to tomorrow, is my birthday, Paul, to be honest oh, with you.
0: Happy birthday so, uh, for tomorrow. You know,
1: I've, I've been at this, you know, this adventure outdoor kind of stuff for the last half a dozen years, uh, you know, a lot. I mean, you know, I've been into it before then. Uh, you know, I'm a teacher by trade. I don't know if you've seen that throughout any of my stuff. Absolutely. Uh, I have a degree, degree in physical education and uh, and a minor in biology, so I've been teaching for a few years. I've had a few replacements, and uh, I was in Labrador teaching for a year, and more recently now, I've just been substituting because it's kind of flexible with some of the projects I've been working on. But, uh, you know, I, I grew up outdoors. I spent my childhood uh, in a small community of probably only, I don't know, 400 people, maybe. And uh, around half an hour, 40 minutes from a from a bigger city. So I spent my youth growing up outdoors, you know. I was always on adventures, you know, every day building little lean-tos and tree houses and cabins. I had a dozen of them. I had like a little community in the woods behind my house. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd be... We would play softball down to a field and I'd be riding bikes and rigging up trailers uh, from old wagons on the back of my bike. You know, I was always just doing, you know, mixing it up. And I never, ever had like a, like a quad or nothing growing up, you know, uh, an ATV. We'll call it, I guess. and uh, So I used to use my pedal bike and i go off-road in and, and, and old wood trails and bogs up to my waist. And I just always kind of liked being outdoors and doing things outside. But, uh, you know, I, I played hockey. That was, a, that was a big thing for me for a long time. And I still love the game. And as you can probably tell through some of my pictures and videos, I've, I suffered an injury. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, I, I lost two teeth there when I was around 21 playing junior hockey. Which I do have a denture, and I wear that sometimes when I have to look professional, I guess.
0: <laughs> when you <laughs> have to go to smart dinners, Outside of the, outside of the woods, you know. <laughs> yep.
1: But uh, yeah, and uh, that. But I was, you know, I had a dream to be in the NHL, like a lot of people who grow up playing hockey in Canada and the U.S. and you know, even over your way, in you know Sweden and Finland and these places. Oh, but, they take uh,
0: it take it really seriously. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. so I put a lot of time. That was my life then. From uh, actually, mo- I moved out of that small community, and we moved to a bigger city. And I just started taking hockey sh- seriously. And uh, if it was once a year, I get out to to my family's cabin, my grandparents, and that was about the only time I'd spend outdoors. I really got away from from a, for a long time from the age of maybe. We moved when I was 12 years old. So from 12 until around 25, I barely stepped foot out, outdoors. You know, every every long weekend in September, I'd go to our cabin. And that was about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe a scattered, trouting uh, trip here or, here or there. And, uh, yeah, I moved away and played junior hockey in New Brunswick. Uh, you, you know where New Brunswick is there? Just west of Newfoundland and on on mainland Canada. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I played there, and I uh, was there for four years, and, you know, uh, that's it's competitive junior hockey. It's, you know, it's a few steps down below the NHL for sure, but, you know, it was it was a path, and after my four years, I was 21, and uh, I was, you know, that was, you're an overager then, so that, that's your last year you can play junior. So I had a decision, I had a couple opportunities to go play in some universities, one in Ontario and one in Nova Scotia. They would have gave me, you know, like, uh, they would have paid a percentage of my tuition.
0: Like a sort of scholarship, sports scholarship yeah, type thing. not
1: right? a full ride or nothing like that, but a percentage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had been I had been gone away from home for four years. I'd only come back in the summers. I had left in high school in, in grade 12 when I was 17. And, uh, yeah, and I, I decided I wanted to come back and, and be with my friends and family and be back in Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. So I came back and I started playing in a senior league here on the island, which is a very competitive senior league. There's ex-pros, uh, there's even a few ex-NHLers who played in this league. And, uh, you know, we started, you know, you have a few beer after the game, <laughs> and I realized that my dream <laughs> to go to the NHL was was over, right? Mm. And, uh, you know, I've always been the type of person who, who I'm a dreamer, I am, you know, and as, as cliche as it sounds, you know, I like having big goals and, you know, you know, wanting to do things that most other people don't get to experience. I mean, a very small percentage of the people get to play in the National Hockey League, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I just want to do, you know, I want to do things that are, that are hard to do and, and, you know, big dreams that are almost, that I don't even think are possible, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, in amongst this, I, I felt a void in my life. I had applied for a university here in Newfoundland and I started taking the physical education degree. And the second year in that program, uh, I signed up for an outdoor education course. And part of that course was to go on a canoeing trip. I had never been in a canoe in my life. I was around <laughs> I was around twenty-three then, so around seven years ago, eight years ago. Never stepped foot in a canoe in my life, didn't have you know, I was before that I you know, I was like, Why would I go in a canoe? Why would I want to paddle with my own arms? Why wouldn't I just get a motor? You know? Yeah. <laughs> And going like uh, aluminum boats. Well, there's a lot. Of,
0: there's do. a lot of tin boats with motors in Canada. You're not alone. So
1: well, that's what my grandfather used to have with the cabin when I was, you know, when I used to go there once a year or whatever. Uh, you know, and uh, anyway, so I did that course, and we did some. We learned some survival skills. We got prepared to go for this trip with our class. I think there was about twenty of us. And we went in for two nights. We were putting in groups. It was like three people per tent, and we had to plan our own food. And you know, they gave us a general list. the The, the prof of that course was actually T. A. Loffler. Have you ever heard of T. A.? The name rings a bell. Yeah. She's from here. She's had a couple attempts at Everest, three attempts, right? And uh, so she was kind of an inspiration for me. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I did that that overnighter. I came back, and boy, was the hook ever in deep from there. <laughs> Like it was just like, it just reignited my, I was, I felt like I was a kid again out there in those two nights paddling up this lake. And I kind of thought to myself, you know, you know, what can I do with a canoe? I, you know, I I remembered my childhood and spending time outdoors and even these, you know, even through my youth, when I used to go to the cabin, I'd go off and take the fishing rod and go off on my own, you know, for hours and I'd come back for dinner, dinner or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I always kind of enjoyed it, but after that, I was like, you know, how far can I go in a canoe? You know, what can I do? And I ended up buying one, and now I have four. <laughs> so,
0: uh, it's, it's a common, yeah. it's a common affliction. Yeah, yeah I've, so, I've got, I've got three. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, I get where you're coming from. So, yeah.
1: so I continued <laughs> to play hockey and stuff. When I went down and we did some out some winter courses in this phys ed degree, and then I went down and did my education degree after four years of phys ed. And in this time frame, I got myself into the Internet, into, you know, just, you know, reading some of your stuff and uh, and other, you know, survivalists and bushcrafters and adventure people. And, you know, I think Al Humphreys did a podcast for you, and I kind of got into reading some of his stuff and, uh, you know, just people who were going on big trips and and doing this, you know, living this kind of adventurous life. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, watched a few documentaries, uh, you know, read some books, and I wanted to plan a trip of my own. You know, I was at this point I had never spent a night alone in the woods. When I was, you know, I was 24, I think it was. And uh, yeah, I was gonna. I had gone out with my buddies a few nights here and there, and we did some group trips. And and then one evening, uh, I can't quite remember what happened, but we ha- I had planned to go. On a trip with two buddies of mine, uh, just outside St. John's, Newfoundland, the capital city of our province,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, we we're just going to go in, take the canoe for a couple nights. And the weather kind of got not great, and uh, they didn't really want to go, so I went down my own for the night. My first time, you know, alone out there in the bush. Uh, you know, I wasn't far from civilization or nothing, a few kilometers, but I was I was out there nonetheless. You know. So I spent the night, and, you know, I was nervous, and this and that, and, you know, you're listening for a twig crack here or there, and, you know, there's quite a few coyotes around our area, and, uh, yeah, just the whole aspect of spending the night out, and from there, it snowballed, and, you know, uh, I went on a couple nights, and I went for three or four, and then uh, I went on a, I planned a 14-day, 120-kilometer canoe trip. Right. Um. that went across the Avalon Peninsula, which is the most eastern part of Newfoundland. Okay. So I basically w- planned it to go through a wilderness area. Uh, this wilderness area is around 1,200 square kilometers. So I planned to leave from one end and go straight through that. It was around 120K. I, I hiked um, you know, half of it, and uh, there was an old dirt road that goes into the fringes of it. And there, the couple days before I left, me and my buddy brought my canoe in there and uh you know he helped me stash it in the woods and then you know a couple days later i got dropped off at my starting point and sort of made my way towards the canoe and uh, picked that up and kept going and it took me it was 14 15 days uh, on my own i had no you know, of course i had my dog saku now and i have another a husky and they weren't they didn't exist at this point in time well the husky did but she was younger but that was kind of my my girlfriend's dog and she you know she was like, no, 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 that dog's not going with you in there, kind of thing. <laughs> she'll, she'll never come back, right? <laughs> so, Because uh, huskies are pretty wild, you know, they're off the leash, and they see a moose, they could be gone, and you yeah. could be d- days waiting for them, you know? And, uh, yeah, but I'd done that trip, and, yeah, I mean, the the final days of the trip were winding down, and I kind of realized, like, just the, just being out there and being in this untouched country, there was no trails, it was trackless, and... Just brilliant, you know, mm. crazy, crazy, you know, natural experiences. I've seen a lot of moose. Uh, like, You know, I think I've seen something like 16, 17 moose. I caught a bunch of brook trout and I live the life, you know, uh, the life which I became fascinated, fascinated about uh, in my readings, like some of the the aboriginal uh indigenous people of newfoundland the beothic and the Mi'kmaq and you know out trapping on the land and some of the trappers in labrador and uh uh yeah the early european explorers who came over and explored our land and i was reading a lot of that stuff and i just kind of wanted i admired that life and Mm -hmm. i done that trip and that was it like i got back i remember getting back after 14 days or 15 days or whatever it was and of course, before I left, my mother was worried to death. They uh, always are. They always they are. are. Right, and she's warmed up over time, of course. But uh, you know, she trusts me a little more now. But uh, before that point, I had spent like you know three days was the longest I've ever spent, not far from you know from anything. And this was far, and I had no cell service, so I only had a spot with me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And spot, you can't really text or nothing. You just send off a message at the end of the night, and you don't even know you don't even know if anyone sees it, right? No, true. <laughs> So uh, I got back and, uh, you know, the first thing, they they met me. My girlfriend, my grandparents, my parents met me at the finish line. And, uh, you know, I came in, none the worse for the wear. And uh, I got in the, the vehicle and she said, did you get it out of your system? Please tell me you did. And I said, Mom, I'm thinking about the next one already. You know, kind of, and I went from there and, yeah, I got into you know, and then I got into YouTube, and I stumbled on like Mike Horn. Have you heard of him? I'm
0: sure you have. I can, I know, I, I know, extru- I know the name. Yeah,
1: he's he's from he's originally South, South African based. He circumnavigated the world by his own power, like on the equator, right? Through the, yeah, through Amazon. I think he he's done it the other way now too, like on the longitude, uh, and gone across the the Antarctica. And like the you know uh, and the North Pole and stuff like that and and Lar- Lars Lars was a Norwegian.
0: Yeah, I know I know Lars Monson, because i spent a bit of time in Norway and he's he's always on the television over there. So yeah, yeah I've watched no, quite a few of his stuff in Nor. No idea what he's talking about half the time watching it in <laughs> Norway, but they're they're cool to watch. So
1: he's got some series on YouTube and stuff like mm-hmm. that, right? And yeah. uh, and in between him and this horn fella and some of the aboriginals and the trappers, I just. I was like, man, I love this. I absolutely love it. I've always loved the challenge. I always love doing things. You know, I mean, not always the hard way because you, you know, you'll—that's how you beat yourself up. I mean, even when I'm out there, I try to make things as easy as possible. But I just like a real big challenge, you know.
0: So just snowballed. that two-week trip. What year was that that you did the 14-day trip across the Avalon well, was Not
1: that long ago. It was it was the summer of t- 2015.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So yeah, and I did that and got back and then I I got a I accepted a teaching replacement in Labrador. So I mean Labrador of course for those who don't know is is a part of our province, Newfoundland and Labrador, although Newfoundland is the island stuck out in the Atlantic and Labrador is connected to Canada
2: mm-hmm.
1: to mainland Canada. So I took a teaching replacement in a very isolated community called Cartwright on the southeast coast of Labrador. I, I just put out a you know, uh, I applied for the job on a whim. I was in Europe, actually, on a backpacking trip when i done this. And I applied for the job on a whim. It was a phys ed biology job. Anyways, I got an interview when I was in Rome on this backpacking trip with my girlfriend. Did the interview. Last connection, a pile of times. You know, they forgot about me. And then she, you know, she must have liked what I had to say. And long story short, I, I finished the interview like a day later. I got the job. And then i went to labrador for a year uh around a month after that trip in the summer i went there for a year and up there i spent you know labrador's big and it's a wild wild place you know one of the you know last untouched places you know in, in the world with regards to you know remote and raw wilderness mm-hmm. very rugged up there and i spent a year which is you know i had a skidoo and i did a lot of snowshoeing and cross-country skiing and slept out in the in a, in a cold tent in like minus 35 and went out with a with a trapper on a trap line multiple times and just lived life on the land for the entire year when I wasn't at school, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, my girlfriend couldn't come with me up there. She had a job in St. John's, so we parted ways for a, br- a brief year there. And when I was up there having all these experiences, I was like, what can I do next, you know? And, you know, I'm, I said I did a 120-kilometer trip. Like, I want to do something bigger. I want to test myself even more. And that's when I looked. You know, I was looking at doing half of Newfoundland and doing little bits and pieces here and there and I said, You know what? I'm just gonna say, uh, you know, screw it and, and do and try to make a trip across the entire province.
0: Yeah. And so for kind of so, f- so for people that you know, I've I've looked at atlases and maps and, and whatnot of Canada a fair amount, but for people that aren't familiar with the, the geography of Labrador and Newfoundland and how that fits together and and what and what's the terrain there like is it you know i, I know the answer to that but you know for, for the benefit of listeners so they can picture it in their minds what's it like what was that terrain like that you were planning to cross in um in that trip that you were envisaging
1: uh well you know uh, newfoundland is is the boreal forest you know and uh so there is a lot of forested areas but for those Newfoundland Labrador has two nicknames. I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, they call the Newfoundland Newfoundland is called the Rock. So across Canada, you know, a lot of people know the Newfoundland. Know Newfoundland is the Rock. Uh, Labrador is referred to as the Big Land. And you know, so rightfully slow, rightfully so. I mean, Labrador is a big land. Uh, it's a little different than than Newfoundland. It's a bit more northern. But mm-hmm. for Newfoundland here, they call it the Rock because you know. It is what it is. There's a lot of rock on this island. There's a lot of barren, exposed areas uh, where there's no vegetation around the coast and certain parts of the interior. But there's also real forested, you know, sections of the island. Uh, some of uh, some of the real heart of the island is extremely forested. Uh, there's a lot of marshlands and bogs and swamps, and uh, And then on the west coast of Newfoundland, there's uh, the northernmost section of the Appalachian mountain chain, which, you know, begins down in the, you know, the northeastern seaboard of the U.S. You know, I don't really know where it begins. It begins down there somewhere.
0: All the way down in the, um, all the way down in the Carolinas, isn't it? Down there somewhere.
1: Yeah, somewhere like that. I mean, a lot of people hike the Appalachian Trail, Mm -hmm. yada, yada, you know. And But, you know, when Newfoundland was connected to mainland Canada, you know, way back in, you know, billions or millions of years ago, however long it was. uh, Yeah, so it was connected to those Appalachians, but we broke off. So the western part of the province is very mountainous. And, uh, you know, I think the highest peak is something like 24 to 2,500 feet above sea level or something like that. Uh, You know, 850 meters. Mm -hmm. That's right yep so there's a there's a vast you know it's a vast landscape here a lot of different and there's there's big massive lakes and there's there's big rivers uh, you know and and the same goes for Labrador but of course when you get to Labrador you start working your way a little further north so like the southern part of Labrador is much like Newfoundland but when you get into the northern sections you get into like sub subarctic tundra and there's a lot of barrens and I've spent time up there where it's like you're on the moon. You know, there's mm-hmm. no trees for miles, and there's rocks, you know, laid by glaciers. They're spread out everywhere like some big giant just had a you know a handful of rocks and flicked them everywhere. You know what I mean? And then then you get you know real north in Labrador, and you're dealing with uh, you know the Torn Gap Mountains, which are you know legendary, and you know people come from all over the world to go to, to go see those. Mm-hmm. But uh, so our province covers a lot of land and uh you know it's fast and you know there's a, not a lot of people who who live and I don't know the stats I think I left it on my most recent YouTube video but I mean it's like the population density
0: of Newfoundland is something like you said th- 1.5 versus 3.9 you seen that did you yeah I read I, I read stuff people send me you know okay yeah, <laughs> but, yeah it was uh you know
1: completely con- well, compared to Canada there, it's it's a big difference. So I think it's 1.4 people per square kilometer in Newfoundland. And compared to Canada, it's like four people per square kilometer. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, the whole country has so much wilderness. But in our province, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of wilderness, you know, compared to, to people. You know, it's there's a lot of bush. So it's yeah. it's easy to be, uh, you know, inspired by the outdoors here and want to go out and spend time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our province i mean their life is is lived outdoors i mean not so much in some of the you know saint john's our capital city people still enjoy we have an east coast trail which is a great trail in there but you come out to some of the smaller uh cities and and towns in newfoundland and people they hit the dust on the weekend once friday rolls around for two or three days until monday they're gone to their cabins and Mm -hmm. they're wood and they're ice fishing and they're moose hunting or caribou hunting or rabbit hunting whatever it might be coyote black bear and uh yeah they just it's uh, you know a lot of people here live a, a a very you know uh highly influenced life on the land you know
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now i i read when you were envisaging this this trip from west to east across newfoundland I read somewhere that you tried to recruit a couple of friends of yours but in the end nobody wanted to do it is that true
1: yeah there's, I mean you know and I guess for a lot of people would just just kind of said you know you're crazy why do you want to do that mm. because and I guess that's see that's kind of the theme for a lot of people who go out and do these things that it's hard to find people to sign up especially for a trip that long Paul I mean it was 700 kilometers long. I didn't know how long it was going to take me, and, you know, people have jobs. People have families. I was I was teaching, so I had summers off, and at that point in time, I was substituting, so I took a little extra time off towards the end of the school year because I left in end of April. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I had ran, ran it by a couple of my, you know, good friends who I thought may have any interest at all, and, uh, you know, it was a quick no for, you know, for – understandable reasons so i'm the you know the type of person and uh, i think you know everyone should 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 live this way is that you know if you really want to do something if you wait around for people to you know to join you or to help you do this thing or whatever it might be you know you're, you you might be 75 years old uh sitting on the couch yeah right and it never happened because you waited for people to come help you or come do something with you
0: yeah it can sometimes be be more be more effort trying to corral a group of willing people than just doing it yourself yeah completely yeah and
1: and it was you know a lot of challenges on a trip like this and you know uh, you know I I, I was looking for people and it was only a couple people I ran it by people who who I knew could you know put a tent up and start a fire and you know, someone who could catch fish or they can use a map and compass because you don't really want to take someone on a trip with you like this of that longevity who was who inexperienced because you get in the middle of nowhere and, you know, you can get in arguments and things can go south in a hurry, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I ran it by a few people and after some declines, I just kept going on, you know, about my normal thing.
0: But it doesn't. Sound to me like you ever really had much problem with thinking about doing it on your own anyway, you know, given how you'd kind of done the previous trip and, you know, you'd done your first overnighter on your own, you'd done your 14 day trip on your own, kind of almost seemed like a natural progression to me.
1: Yeah, and, you know, and yeah, yeah, I wasn't waiting around too long for someone to say yes kind of thing. No. And I'd like to, you know, I take pride in saying, I don't mind being on my own and, you know, I'm fine with my own company and, you know, yourself when you're out there on the land. I mean, you don't got a whole lot of time to sit down on a log, you know, (laughs) Uh, especially when you're moving day in, day out. I mean, you know, from cutting wood in the morning and, you know, cooking your food and making sure it doesn't tip over in the fire and taking down your tent and, you know, on that Newfoundland trip looking after Saku and, you know, in come the evening, you know, you're doing it all over again. You're setting up camp. You're cutting firewood because I like an open fire. I mean, I use fuel if I'm rushed or emergency or if it's pouring rain. And, you know, it's just more convenient. But I like the fire, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's one of the big things I enjoy when I'm out there to have a fire at nighttime. And, you know, and then it's go over the mat and try to figure out, you know, where the heck I'm going tomorrow and how I'm going to get through there. Because, I mean, I always have these routes roughed out, but nothing's for certain, you know. Mm-hmm. Some of the paddling, but, you know, some of the portages and some of the stretches where I had to hike, I just kind of figured it out when I got there. You know, I did some research and asked questions and contacted people who were familiar with the area, but I was still in, in the dark for a lot of sections. But, uh, you know, you're, you're busy out there. and I don't, you know, I don't mind being on my own and I have, a, I think I have an active mind. I mean, I'm always thinking of ideas and things I want to do with my content and I, I keep diaries when I'm out there. And so to me... I'd love to have people along. I'd love to have people experience it with me and, you know, that will probably happen. Uh, going out with a buddy of mine this weekend for two nights actually in the, in the canvas tent with the wood stove. Oh yeah, doing nice. Fishing yeah. that opens up this weekend. Try to, try to secure a few meals and, uh, but yeah, so I don't mind, don't mind doing it on my own at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's actually though, the dog for those, you know, we'll get into that anyways, I guess, but I took, <laughs> Exactly with me on that Newfoundland trip.
0: So you and set you set off. What was it spring, 2017 You set up, you finally set off on that trip.
1: Yeah, it was like late late April, uh, two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. Which was <laughs> a lot of people were rolling their eyes at that one too when they found out. Uh,
0: Your mum included.
1: Well, I mean that that was <laughs> yeah that was that was obvious. It's she was rolling them. But just you know, because I had, I was trying to get a, a grant because some of these long trips, you know, there's an expense. Uh, so I was trying to get a grant from Canadian Geographic, which I end up, or uh, the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, which is a branch under Canadian Geographic. Uh, they end up support me for my most recent trip I done Latin, the, this year past, but for these this original Newfoundland trip, I tried to get them, and. Uh, part of the thing was you had to create a facebook page about your trip so that's kind of where this newfoundland explorer thing came to which is my facebook page Mm -hmm. and uh, that's where they wanted you to have that to get an outreach and i didn't end up getting the grant the first time around uh but i posted some things about my trip on that page and it kind of blew up uh like the local news were interested and i was like you know mind boggled about all the you know people that were actually interested in this and kind of humbled and everything else mm-hmm. but uh and this was but, before I, this
0: was before you set off or this
1: before I left right. new expedition yeah and uh, it was you know probably a few months before and then a, then I was leaving in this as I was saying uh, you know I was leaving in the spring of the year so a lot of people were all, rolling their eyes at this one Uh you know was, there was still snow but it was that sticky transition season I guess you don't you don't get much snow in london or
0: very rarely do you no i mean even the past couple of years in scotland the the snow yeah. hasn't been brilliant but yeah i know what you mean by that sort of that spring snow yeah, it, where it, it's where it's transformed and it's very crystalline i, I know exactly what you mean
1: yeah hmm. and it's getting soft and the weather is getting warm and even snowshoes are useless and uh so i kind of got myself uh, into that situation later in the trip i started and uh You know, it was winter conditions, but a lot of people were saying, Why are you going to do it then? Why don't you just wait till the summer? Well, you know, there was a reason, and, you know, it was a reason that was important, and, you know, it's something that happens to a lot of us, and uh, we just have to do it, and it's a wedding. Mm. Well, I had my girlfriend, her her sister, a wedding was planned uh, for. Just after I planned to do this trip, they they had their wedding in early July.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: it was like the 7th of July. So I I had this trip in my mind. And you know what it's like then? Like it's in there. Like I got to get it out of my system. If not, I'll be just kicking myself. So I just my original plan was to leave the, the end of May. But when this wedding popped into the schedule, I said, you know what? I'm just going to push it ahead a month earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started off on the west coast of Newfoundland. And there was no snow. It was spring. But of course, I had to cross over those mountains we were talking about earlier.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So then I got into full flight of winter and uh, and then spring came and I am mucked around and some, you know, some sloppy snow conditions. But then everything cleared up and I was paddling my raft. So and that was an inflatable raft. That's what I took with me uh, on that trip, you know.
0: So I've I've watched the so you also filmed on that trip and you you you're just putting that as we record this you're putting that onto your YouTube channel. So I've watched the first of I think you said you expect to make six um, episodes if if that's right. So I've yeah. just watched the first episode of that um, in the last few days and I've got the second one to watch. And so you started off with a sled. And, and snowshoes did you have so for, for listeners did you have everything with you at the beginning did you have the pack raft and everything with you or did you stash things along the way like you did on previous trip with your canoe how did you organize the logistics on this one
1: yeah i had uh i had three resupplies on the 700 kilometer route uh i, I mean i wouldn't unless i relied on the land which i you know i i was when I left, there was hunting season or fishing fishing season wasn't opened. Mm-hmm. And, if, and on that trip, I mean, I couldn't hunt the entire trip. It was during the summer. I could only fish. Fishing opened up after around, uh, I think, something around probably 20-odd days into my trip. But So, you know, I couldn't rely on that, and that's something I'd like to do in the future. I mean, uh, once I become more experienced. But I did have resupplies. And my first resupply was after 100 kilometers. Mm-hmm. So that's where I had my raft left because I was going through the mountains, uh, you know, with a sled. A rubber, a rubber dinghy wasn't going to really <laughs> be useful. <laughs> I could have used it as a slide, I guess. Yeah. On some of the hills. So, uh, you know, I left that at my first resupply, and I left some extra food and just a bit of clothing, but not not too much. Just a couple, couple items. Uh. Most of it I took with me from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I was – because it was a late winter that year. Winter lingered around a bit longer than than normal, uh, a few weeks longer than normal, actually. Mm-hmm. So I had planned when I got to the 100-kilometer checkpoint, my plan was to, to use this inflatable alpaca raft, which is like very – what a – Ingenious piece, uh, piece of kit. Uh, this company in the states has been making these rafts, and I think a lot of people in Europe use them.
0: They do, but
1: yeah. it's, it's only like six pounds. Mm-hmm. So I planned on using that after my hundred-kilometer checkpoint because I thought by then all the lakes would be on thaw, and I could just take the waterways, which I would have taken for you know, uh, you know, the, pretty much the bulk of the remainder of the trip. I had a few spots where I had to hike here and there, but uh, no, no, no. That didn't go as planned. I got to my first resupply after 100 kilometers, and everything was still froze solid. Uh, so I had to continue by sled. And at that point, it was in that sticky, you know, transition of of winter to to spring in in Canada. And uh, yeah, it was kind of like I was hopping from snow patch to snow patch with my sled. <laughs> and I, many times, I just pulled it over barren rock and moss and marsh and everything else with no snow whatsoever because i had i had a fair bit of weight with me you know between my first resupply and my second resupply was 240 kilometers yeah that's a fair distance it was a long haul through you know some pretty you know desolate terrain and i mean i had a there was a hydro system in the middle of our province i followed that dirt road for 50 kilometers but other than that i was right off the beaten track so 240 kilometers is long. It was a big step for me. I hadn't done nothing even close to that. I mean, the 120 kilometers. So that was, it was double the longest of how, uh, how double the longest distance I had ever traveled in the bush, uh, you know, with one set of food kind of thing, you know what I mean? On one resupply. So.
0: And you've got yeah. to feed Saku as well.
1: Yeah, well, he carried his own food. He had a, a pack. Does he uh, carry he,
0: all of his own food? Because that he's 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 not he's not a massive dog is he he wasn't he was only a pup back then wasn't he, he he's
1: a pup there no he can he can handle around 12 days of food roughly a pound a day so okay. around 12 pounds plus he takes his bowl and his leash and his gopro attachment you know so 14 15 pounds of gear he takes so i was leaving you know on this 240 kilometer leg i, I had some of his food in my pack plus my food Plus my tech gear and my survival equipment, and my—I had at that point where it was a transition between winter and spring. I had some winter clothing, I had some summer clothing, so I had a fair bit of stuff. So uh, you know, I didn't really want to get rid of that sled. So that's why I was kind of pulling it over at times, no snow, just pulling it over land. You know, it was a very thin and light sled, so it actually worked out pretty good. Better than I thought it, mm. it would and uh i, I know
0: I, I know quite a few guys who use sleds um maybe a bit wider than the one you had but like a similar construction um for retrieving deer when they go you know deer stalking deer hunting and they'll they'll put the deer in the you know they'll gut it you know growlick it up on the hill or whatever but then they'll put it in the sled and just haul it across the heather and the moss and yeah it can work pretty well with quite a lot of weight in it
1: I'm after dragging canoes, and, and, and instead of portaging and throwing it over my shoulders, I'm after mm. dragging canoes. I even done that in Labrador, just right on the moss, if it's not too rocky or whatever. But, I mean, that was that sled was like $10, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, I was on a budget kind of thing, and, uh, you know, I mean, we you, you got to start small with these things. You can't have everything at once. And I had to make my decision. I mean, that raft, they're... It's an amazing piece of kit, uh, but it cost a few dollars and certain things I had to invest in and other things. I just bit the bullet and took this little pelican sled that weighed probably five pounds, not even. And I loaded everything on and you know what? Uh, it worked out, you know. So, I mean, I'm not a big gear guy and, you know, I like having the right tools for the job. But I'm not, def- I'm not the person who needs to have the latest and greatest at all times, you know. No. Uh, and I don't need all my kit to be the best. I mean, some things are just mediocre, but it works
0: yeah well that's a good message because i think you know it's funny when i when i first like when i did a bushcraft course back in the day i i was already you know a backpacker and a hiker and i used to do a fair amount of you know mountain biking and stuff back then but i kind of got into backpacking and 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 camping but i didn't have a lot of money back then and you know some of the some of the stuff i used to wear for my backpacking trips was like my I used to I had one waterproof jacket and that was quite an early days Gore-Tex cycling jacket but it was a lot lighter weight than a lot of the hiking jackets you could get back then I used to just use that for hiking as well so I had like one jacket that i'd use for everything and and, you know sort of secondhand uh, army trousers that would that were sort of dyed black rather than green and the only thing i'd spent any i spent any money on really was a backpack and some boots they were the things i've and a sleeping bag i guess well not even a sleeping bag initially i had a pretty shitty sleeping bag and yeah eventually when i got a bit more money i got a lighter weight one but yeah you can go out and do you can have adventures you don't have to have the greatest kit but one of the things i have seemed to have seen in recent more recent years is that people feel like they have to have everything you know squared away best kit before they can set foot outside the house and i think that really stops people having some fantastic adventures so i'm i'm glad to hear you singing that singing from that same song sheet really that you know some things are important but otherwise just get out and do it
1: yeah it's the consumers, you know it's the consumerism thing people you know there's a lot of things out there and everyone wants to just buy this and buy that and when you you know you don't need it and like you said like boots are important if you're back. that's something you should invest in you know mm-hmm. uh because you know on a trip when you're hiking you know you do you know you go out for 20 kilometers or you hike you know 10 or 15 kilometers a day even you know, if you don't got good boots, you're going to pay for it, right? Yeah. Uh, but did your did your coat hold up? Did it keep you dry? Or? Yeah, it
0: was great. Yeah. it yeah. was. I don't know if the company still exists. There's a company that was called Freestyle, and it was just this little Gore-Tex jacket. So a lot of the mountain jackets are like that now, you know, because this was back in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, and a lot of the Gore-Tex hiking jackets were these massive things that were long That's and they true. were thick and they were heavy. And I just thought I've got this cycling jacket that's fine. I'll just use that, and it was great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah you'll notice in that Newfoundland series that my those green pants I'm wearing
0: are mm-hmm.
1: military surplus, used. I bought, I bought, and they're Gore-Tex. I bought the coat, and I bought. I didn't wear the coat on the trip. I had a, a ba- bath and gave me some some equipment. But uh those pants were a Gore-Tex and so were the coat and I bought the kit for 120 110 Canadian mm-hmm. at the, at the army sur- surplus surplus store sorry and that was when I was first getting into this stuff about 5 6 years ago and I still wear it today. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: no I've 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 had a lot of stuff from surplus stores and yeah, you can you can. It's
1: hard to get a piece of North Face kit for under a coat alone for under one hundred and twenty dollars. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, how did you decide to take Saku along with you? Because he seems like a very cool dog, but you don't know that beforehand, do you? So, what was the what was the no. thinking there with taking a dog along?
1: Well, when I did that first trip, you know, when I was getting my feet wet for, for 14 or 15 days there, uh, the hiking, canoeing when we first spoke about, mm. uh, I, I did it on my own and I was content, but to go out for, you know, I had estimated that this Newfoundland trip would take me roughly 70 days and that was just based on a couple of things I'd done before and I, you know, a, the simple way I looked at it is if I can get 10 kilometers a day. Seven hundred kilometers, I'll be there in seventy days. You yeah. know what I mean? That, that's- so it's so that's a long that's a long time. And you know, I mean I, I'm I'm a sociable person. I'm a sociable guy. I like people. I like interaction. I'm not like, you know, uh, someone who wants to go hide away from everyone forever. Definitely not like that. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure some people may think when they see people do stuff like this, like, you know, what do they just hate people?
2: Like mm-hmm.
1: they're the most anti social social people in the world. Yeah. But no, it's not. I mean, I just enjoy being out there. But I I, I decided that I've I always wanted to have a dog growing up and you know my parents enjoyed animals but they just you know dogs are messy and I they knew I wasn't going to look after it and I was the one who wanted it so it never happened and once I moved out on my own and yeah I, I always wanted to get one and I thought about doing these trips and I said you know what this is the perfect time to, to take man's best friend along with me they they're the perfect companion, uh, you know, they're they're comforting at the, the end of the day, uh, you know, they're entertaining, they're protection. He's like a little alarm system around camp, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we never had no issues, but there's times where he heard things and boom, he's up barking right away. Yeah. He, he'll If anything came near the tent, he'd know long before me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, he's you know contagious energy he he provides too i mean if i'm moving someday he's always 15 or 20 kilometers ahead of me i I generally have him off the leash because i you know it's just hard to walk a dog for 700 kilometers or i mean i did a lot of paddling i did a lot of paddling too but regardless hard to walk him and uh yeah i just kind of you know i see him moving and he's he's giving her you know going full flight and i'm kind of feeling lethargic and i'm like you know what if saku can go i can too (laughs) so all these factors and Yeah, I started looking for an outdoor dog. Like I said, we have a second dog who's a – she's a husky. She's a rescue dog from Labrador. But, uh, you know, if I was leaving my girlfriend for, you know, two and a half months, she didn't want to be left alone without a dog. So she certainly, again, wasn't letting me take the husky. I started looking on Kijiji, which is – I don't know if there's any of this. I don't know what you have equivalent over there, but for people in the States, it's the same as Craigslist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I looked for dogs, and I seen this dog called a Cape Shore water dog, which is bred here in Newfoundland. It's a hardy breed. It's, it's a dog meant to be in the woods, in the outdoors. What they're specifically bred for here in Newfoundland. And I'll mention, too, it's, it's a mixture of a, a Black Lab, a Chesapeake, and a Portuguese water dog. So it's a, a bit of a mix in there, and uh, but what they use them for most specifically here in Newfoundland is in the ocean, believe it or not, On the, in the Atlantic Ocean in December, January, and February, retrieving sea ducks, so like eider ducks and Turs, which are two types of birds that are frequent the coastlines here in Newfoundland. So these dogs are thrown off the cliffs, not thrown, they go on their own will into the Atlantic Ocean. There could be crazy swells, but if there's a bird out there, they go and they get it and they bring it in. And, and you know, for people who don't know, I mean, right now outside it's minus 12 here in where I'm in central Newfoundland. So there's dogs that today were probably on the coast in on, on certain parts of Newfoundland. Chasing after birds, whether they jumped off the cliffs or, or cliffs or jumped from the boat that the fishermen or the hunters were using, mm-hmm. and they go into the the, the frigid Atlantic Ocean in uh, in in midwinter to mm-hmm. retrieve ducks. And a lot of them use them on the land uh, just for companions. So I knew it was a hardy breed, and it was the first dog I came across. on Kijiji, it was like it was meant to be. Mm. So I, I wrote the people and. Uh, That was in like end August. This is the year, the August before I left on my, you know, the year before I left on this Newfoundland trip, you know, roughly eight months before. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a few weeks later, we had them. And that was it. I took a lot of time to train them and and whatnot. And, you know, I just, I I said, if I'm doing this, no better companion to take than a dog. If I can't find a human, you know, (laughs) I'm going to take a dog. And you know what? I mean, he's living, the, he's living the dog's dream, you know, for an active dog anyways. I mean, I know, like, something like a, like a Chihuahua, or you know.
0: <laughs> It'd be hell on earth it. for a Chihuahua, like, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah.
1: Like working dogs, like, you know, uh, like Huskies and, and dogs like Saku and, you know, Bernice Mountain Dogs. And these type of dogs are, you know, this, they're meant to be out there. They they're need, not, they need they're to. not meant to be on the couch all day and you come no. home and you walk them for 30 minutes. I mean, since I've done these trips with Saku now, I mean, I can't tire him out. If I if I bring him for an hour walk, sometimes in the evening we take both our dogs for a walk. I like to get him off the leash as much as possible, like on the weekends and stuff. But if we take him for a walk, I bring Saku back after an hour and he's just getting warmed up, you yeah, know? It's
0: like, where's, where's the rest? Where's the rest? Exactly.
1: So <laughs> I felt like, you know, I did the right thing by getting him and, yeah. and the, And the breeders, the breeders were like, over the moon that i was doing this with him and you know bringing recognition to their you know their breeding operation and Mm -hmm. and just giving that dog a good life and a life that a lot of dogs that that they have down there you know they still live good lives but not what they're meant to do i mean geez you know dogs are big dogs big active dogs like that are supposed to be out on the move not restrained you know and
0: he seems very good from the from what I've seen of him in the videos. He's he seems very good natured.
1: Yeah, he's real. He's a good boy. Yeah, he listens well and and he's, he's quiet. Captain.
0: He's quite quiet as well most of the time.
1: Yeah, he. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the only time he'll bark is when the mailman comes, <laughs> <laughs> or you know, in in the woods when, when there's no mailman. Like I said, if if he hears something or like, you know, uh, I think in that. First episode no i think it's in the second one we i don't get footage of it but we we come across a moose so he freaked out there and barked but then right. later on the trip we see like caribou and bears and he just sits there quietly i mean unless there's any threat or unless he's really concerned he he just you know he's, he's a pretty chill dog mm-hmm. So.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, uh, so so you know.
0: you're, pu- you're putting this stuff out on your youtube channel now you presumably had a plan to film it all you clearly took filming equipment with you um did you have any sort of idea what, what was the plan there did you have any sort of particular idea or was it just to document things as they happened or was there a was there a grand scheme there
1: yeah i wanted to make some sort of film or documentary that was the that was mm-hmm. the plan uh you know because i love it and I think we all should, and you know, you know how it is this day and age now. I mean, especially the new, the newer generation, uh, it's becoming a lost, you know, lost skills
0: in terms in of getting in terms of getting outdoors. You mean?
1: Yeah, just appreciating mm. it, getting out there, spending time, you know, uh, respecting it. So I, I had done, I had messed around with just going out and taking pictures, and you know, I, that trip that I done for. Fourteen days is my first one ever. I I filmed that one and put it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. That's that's there on my channel. And that was my first ever go, I guess, at doing that, filming a trip. And I had footage from that trip and I was kinda, you know, when you put yourself out online, you're sometimes you're a little bit nervous and you know, you don't know what people are gonna think and you know, yada yada. And so I had kept that on the back burner for a year, that series, that my original one. Mm. And I put it out on YouTube a year later. After, you know, him and Han over it for a while. And it got, you know, people really enjoyed it. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to do it again.
2: Mm.
1: And uh, I, I did one when I was in Labrador teaching. Uh, the canoeing trip. And that one's on YouTube. And then, of course, I came home and planned the Newfoundland trip. And uh, I'd done a couple small one-night trips before I left to cross Newfoundland. I put those on YouTube. Just going over some tips and skills. And just bringing people along for a night. And, yeah, I had it my whole plan was to to film this trip and get as much footage as I could while also moving forward because that becomes a challenge you you just can't sit down every 10 minutes and take footage because if not I'd still be out there
0: (laughs) yeah I was going to ask you about that because it is a it is hard filming while you're actually trying to cover some ground
1: yeah I just in my mind I try to get like you know five or ten minutes per day Mm -hmm. that's how I look at it you know what I mean and generally I got much more than that but yeah, uh, you know, most of it, it was around camp, or if I, you know, on the move, if I was in a sticky situation, or seeing wildlife, or, or if I was fishing. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of night stuff in there, and uh, you know, like around the fire at night time, a little bit of it. But by then, I'm, I'm gassed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I you know, there's a little bit of homework. I mean, like I say, go over the route, do some map planning or recording what happened in the day, or just, you know, do what I you know, what I came out there for and sit by the fire and enjoy the the silence of, of the bush, you know, and the freedom and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. So but I try to give as much as I can.
0: Yeah, well, I, like I say, I watched the first episode, and it, I think it gives a good representation, or at least it seems to give a good representation of of what you did in that in that first stage. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of them, and um, yeah, I'm sure other people are too. It's funny; somebody messaged me on um, on Facebook uh, the other day. I, I have a couple of online courses, and we've got private Facebook groups for each each of them and um one of the guys on the on one of the online courses messaged the group and said oh by the way is anybody else watching justin barber's youtube stuff and, and i said well funnily enough i've just been talking to justin and he's going to be on my podcast and they were quite excited about that so there you go it's a small world so.
1: are they from over uh, your way uh
0: one of them was at least yeah 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 oh. yeah
1: well it's good to hear i guess it's not as boring as i thought it was
0: (laughs) no (laughs) not at all not at all yeah yeah so that that trip you had um you know you had to push it forwards a a month you had a late winter you had that spring snow you had to use a sled longer than you thought um eventually presumably you got into your your raft your alpaca how did how did saku find that
1: he was good. I, we did some practice trips uh, uh-huh. the, the fall before. Me and him, we went on a four-night little adventure in back into the av- this this wilderness area that I went down my first ever long trip. So we spent some time, and, I, and he was only four months old, and he was very mm. young, just over the age where, I mean, you got to wait three months before he gets his shots and stuff before you can take him out of the house, you know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I didn't see nothing wrong with it. I don't know if you ever watched the documentary Happy People. Yes. Yes, and they take their huskies out when they're pups, and they take them out on the land. And Anyway, so I said, you know what? If they can do it, why can't I do it with Saku? Take him out early and really get his feet wet. And, you know, I had him, kept him warm, and, you know, uh, I waited for him. We moved at a very slow pace, but I got him used to it. So by the time we got on a Newfoundland trip, uh, he was he was generally fine with getting in the raft. I mean, sometimes I had to give him a little tug to get in there. Uh, but when, once he got in there and he was snug... He spent 75% of the time paddling asleep,
0: <laughs>
1: right? <laughs>
0: so he's fairly relaxed then on the water,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's a tight squeeze in that raft, you know. It's only probably six feet long, yeah. inflated. And once he gets in there, I, I think if he wanted to get out, he couldn't anyways because he was stuck in there <laughs> between my legs, you know. <laughs> but uh, he enjoyed it, and every now and then, you know, he'd reach over and have a little... You know, a bit of water or something like that, and yeah, he was, he he really really enjoyed it. Oh, that's and, cool. Uh,
0: that's cool. I, I have some friends who you know have canoe dogs, as it were, and sometimes sometimes yeah. they they take to it really easily, and other times it takes takes them a while to get used to it and to settle down into it. So I'm glad he yeah. glad he seemed to in to enjoy it. So and- in, in terms of that 2017 trip, what would you say? were some of the big lessons for you because that's you know by your own admission that's you know quite a big jump isn't it from doing a 14-day trip to doing a 70-day trip and what what did you take away from that in terms of learnings
1: uh you know weeks leading up that I didn't really sleep a whole lot you know Mm. I was kind of throwing myself out there in a very hostile environment and you know I had satellite phones and you know, majority of the trip, I was at a cell reach and and everything else. So I, I was nervous about it, you know. And when I left, and my my girlfriend left me in the west coast, she drove me, you know, eight hundred kilometers across our province on the highway to get me there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I when she left me, man, I was you know I was shaking, you know, I was I was throwing myself out there. But I think that's important too to jump off. And you know, if, if you're not, in my opinion, if you're not nervous, if you're not, if you don't have that. You know that tight knot in your stomach well you're not doing something big enough you're not taking a bit you know and i don't mean in a risk sense i just mean you know uh you're not, maybe the challenge is not big enough mm-hmm. you know exactly and uh so uh, you know i didn't I, I believed in myself and i i was I'm, I'm in very good shape i you know i like to look after my physical fitness and i felt i was mentally strong enough but i didn't really realize until i got going how demanding it, it was and uh yeah, one of the biggest things, I guess, was I realized that, you know, we can all, and I mean, I'm sure this is cliche too, and a lot of people say this who do these trips, but, you know, we we can all handle a hell of a lot more than we think we can, right? Mm-hmm. Not only physically, but but mentally, and, you know, we can, you know, it's just about putting your mind to it and doing something, whether it's crossing Newfoundland or it's starting up a, you know, a business uh, you know selling lemonade or you know but you know something a little bigger than that but you know setting up any type of business is the same thing and we always have our doubts in ourselves, and we don't think we're capable we don't think we can organize it and make things happen but you know we can you know in in that case I mean I also realized that we can handle a hell of a lot more physically as well not only the mental aspect but uh you know just you know how it is Paul I mean It's only been the last 10,000 years, roughly, that humans have been stationary. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's been – there was some sort of agricultural revolution. I mean, the other 2.5 million years, we were nomadic. We were on the move, you know, Uh, day by day following good hunting grounds or, you know, or fishing or wherever you could forage the best food and people moved so things didn't get exhausted resources but – you know, and I, and I realized after getting back that, I, that it's the greatest I ever felt was out there moving every day. Like I never felt better in my entire life. Mm-hmm. I never got sick once. I never felt ill, although I lost 20-odd pounds. You know, I did, I felt great every day, and I was fulfilled. And not that I'm not fulfilled here on a daily basis, but it takes me more now to get that same feeling.
2: Yeah, and I don't know if that's
1: a, that's, I don't know if that's become a problem now or not. But, uh, you know, we're meant to move. We're not meant to be stationary every day, you know. And even since I've been back from my more, most recent trip the last few months, like, I, I do find it a little hard sitting around editing these videos all day. <laughs> I try to get out as much as I can. But, I mean, work has – you, you got to work. I got to try to make a living somehow yep. between te- teaching and my my writings and my videos. And I do some speaking and stuff. But I realize, I mean, you know, it's it's <laughs> – it's what, I know everyone can't do it. It's just the way the world's gone. It's Sometimes it's, I feel a little sad about it, but we're meant to be out doing that stuff on a day-to-day basis. And I couldn't have realized it more after that trip. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are happy and a lot of people enjoy what they do, but there's a lot of people who don't. And, uh, you know, I just, I just think it's hard to find that fulfillment when you come home and not to rub anyone the wrong way, but you come home from work and then you're watching Netflix all evening. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't, you know, when I, people, there can't, there's some sort of fulfillment from that. You know, I'm not a big TV watcher anyways. I don't knock people who do. I watch YouTube more than TV, but, uh, you know, it's, you know, I just, we can only, I feel like it can only be experienced on the land. That sense of pushing through a big challenge and, you know, getting through, you know, me getting through a tough section of bush or across a big lake And then having a hard, you know, a hard day and setting my camp up at the end of the day and watching the sunset and, you know, having a fire and I mean, you know, having my little meal of pasta, my dehydrated pasta, I don't have much. You know, I mean, I, after I eat my supper, I'm usually sitting in the tent staring at my food bag. Being, <laughs> I want to eat more, but I can't. Yeah. I got to have self-control. And I guess that's another big thing. I learned a lot of self-control because I could have just sat down and ate all my food. But if I had done that, I would have had to get a helicopter to come and get me out of there. <laughs> so, you know, it's, you know, willpower and all this kind of stuff is developed out there doing this. And that feeling of joy and excitement to, to get through a big day is unmatched. And I, I haven't experienced it at any other time in my life other than doing this. And I think that's truly because that's what we're wired to do. And I think personally, I've stirred up a little bit of the inner, you know, the primal instinct in myself, the inner animal. And I don't know if, if I could ever go much longer without going on these trips, you know, like I need to be, I need to have something else to look forward to now because, you know, it's, is what we're designed to do and I know it's not for everyone and I know that not everyone can just strike off and do that because I don't know what would happen to the world <laughs> there's, there's not enough woods out there I guess I don't know but, not
0: now there's a lot of us now yeah
1: right yeah. so you know but you you get what I'm saying here this is I had a lot of realizations from that and yeah it's just there's there's no other feeling uh, there's there's no it's indescribable that feeling of freedom and excitement you get when you're out there and there's nothing for miles and miles and all you got is your dog and your bag and your boat and whatever's in your, you know, your fishing rod and yeah, man, it gives me goosebumps talking about it.
0: Oh, and the enthusiasm just comes through. Yeah. When you're talking about it. Yeah. you're yeah. Very animated and yeah, very enthusiastic. You can, you can tell how important that is to you. So, so that was a suc- successful trip that 2017 trip. Yeah. How did you Never feel? At, how did you feel at the end of that? Not, not that I want to steal from the, uh, no. you know, the uh, the the video series, which you know is is still still coming out uh, as we record this. But um, how did you feel at the end?
1: Uh, you know, it has a str- it's a strange feeling. You know, uh, in one sense, I didn't want like the trip to end. In the other sense, you know, I was ready to come out for a break. And there's times on that trip, don't get me wrong, where I said to myself, "I'm what the hell am I doing? I'm never doing this ever again. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was extremely happy and, uh, you know, I was astonished that I've driven across Newfoundland a dozen times in my life, you know, on the Trans-Canada Highway uh from you know from one end of the province to the other and to get back and realize that I had done it with my own power through you know primarily trackless bush you know I couldn't I could hardly believe it myself
2: Hmm.
1: and uh I had arrived only an hour drive from my house that it took me nine hours a drive away from that to get to the starting point of the trip Mm -hmm. so uh yeah, and, I, you know, was, I was ready to come out for a break, and I usually am. But it's it's a funny, strange feeling that it doesn't take long. And it's calling me back, you know. Uh, it's pulling at me, and it's a weird type of romance there with it where, like, you know, it's kind of like at the end of that trip, I was happy. In one sense, I didn't want it to end, but I was I was, you know, I was tired. I was banged up. I was ready for a good meal. I was ready for a a real bed, yep. uh, to see my, my girlfriend and my family and my friends. But I was home for a few weeks and my mind was going again, you know, what can I do next?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when, because, when, when did the, when did the idea for the 2018 trip, which we'll talk about shortly, when did that start to formulate in your mind was it immediately after was it in this period you're talking about when you'd had a bit of time at home but then you were thinking what next
1: yeah even on that even towards the end of the trip i was thinking about you know what what can i find for replacement i mean you know i i can't go and do this again in a few months uh i don't i didn't even know if i wanted to but i i knew kind of wanted knew i wanted to do something and i'd always been thinking about labrador because i spent that year up there teaching and Everything else, but it was just a, a vague thought, you know. And I got back and tried to relax for a while, enjoy the comforts of home, and all that good stuff. And uh, you know, my mind's always going, I, I find it hard to shut it off. And but I got back, and you know, I was posting some pictures and some stories online, and I was you know, thinking about what I was going to do with my footage. I had spoke to some production companies. Uh, you know, locally and outside the province and all this kind of good stuff. And mm-hmm. I've seen opportunities developing, but it still didn't, you know, submiss the fact that I wanted to do something else. And I think it was I got back from that trip end of June by September, late September. So probably two and a half, three months later, I was deep into to planning some type of trip in Labrador. I didn't know what I was going to do, didn't know how I was going to do it. But I was just looking at Labrador on the map and just dreaming, you know.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And that was, you know, and that was within a, within a couple months, uh, you know, it was October, November and things started to fall in place. And I thought about the route and I said, you know what, like it, for me, it's go big or go home. I mean, I just did 700 kilometers. I don't really like I, I'd appreciate a 200 kilometer paddling trip or or a weekend paddling trip or one day. But for me. I'm fascinated by the challenge, you Mm -hmm. know, those physical and mental challenges that that happen out there and, you know, feeling that nervousness and not knowing what's coming next. And I needed something big. And I looked at Labrador and, you know, big land up there. And I said, you know, there's no point in doing half Labrador. I might as well do the entire thing. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's kind of where it started. And, uh, you know, I didn't know where I was going to begin the trip. Quebec wasn't in my mind at that point, but you know, I looked at the length of Labrador and I, it was it was something like, you know, just I think like 900 kilometers or something like that on a route I was looking at by climbing a few rivers and going across some big lakes. And, but I was like, that's not even enough. You know, it was, <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just wanted to really to, to step it up. You know, what was an extra couple hundred kilometers, even though I was going into a, an even more desolate terrain. And, uh, so I flipped things around and, uh, I was looking at Hudson Bay and, uh, you know, for those who aren't familiar, I'm I'm sure a lot of people are, but Hudson Bay will be, would be West of, of Quebec, you know, that big horseshoe shaped bay there in the upper part of Canada. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I looked at, you know, that whole Labrador Peninsula area and I said, you know what, I think I might try that out so you know I, I'm probably like yourself now I mean I, I love Google Maps I spend more time on Google Maps than I do watching anything uh, you know, TV or YouTube or whatever it might be I just enjoy going there and looking at routes and zooming in and seeing things and little ponds and you know imagining if everyone anyone has ever gone in there and, yep. but I looked at Hudson Bay and uh, yeah you know I kind of wanted to to cross that whole peninsula, which was roughly, you know, 2,000. Well, it was, it was 1,500 to 2,000 kilometers given, you know, it narrows in certain spots and it widens in other places.
0: Yeah, it sort of tapers down, doesn't it, as it goes yeah, south, yeah, yeah.
1: It does. And uh, I wanted to head with the prevailing winds, much like I did in the Labrador trip or the Newfoundland trip, sorry, kind of west to east. That's the dominant wind here in our part of the world, prevailing
0: westerlies. Same here. I was, yeah. I
1: was looking at where it was. Go ahead.
0: Same here. Yeah, most of the time. Yeah,
1: I, was, yeah. I guess we're on the same latitude, say. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I was looking at Hudson Bay and say, how am I going to get up to, like, basically I would have had to cross Quebec and then Labrador and, and come down to the Labrador Sea, which is just an inward part of the Atlantic Ocean. But I co- I was looking at, you know, regardless what way I went, I knew I wanted to travel by canoe. Uh, I knew I probably wasn't going to get anyone to come with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, was, you know, I, I tell Saku we're, we're doing a trip and, you know, I guess he understood me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we have a good connection. And uh, yeah, so I knew I had to go up a river. Regardless, this trip was going to involve some upriver river travel, which I had done a little bit before on that Newfoundland trip and, and some other small adventures. But Nothing to the extent I was about to throw myself into, not even uh, a hairline close. And uh, so the Great Whale River stood out to me. And anyways, you know, long story short, that's like a 700 kilometer river system, very big. But it was getting me to the interior of Quebec and to the headwaters uh, of that river, which from there I could take towards the border of Labrador. But, I mean, that's a 700-kilometer upriver travel, and I was like, it's never going to happen. I mean, you know, I mean, not never. I mean, I don't like to say anything's impossible, but I just thought it was really, really pushing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, of course, I was going further north, so summer season was getting shorter, you know. I didn't have as much time. So I flipped it around, and I was, I was fascinated by, you know, the trappers in Labrador. And one of the big things, people from the coast of Labrador, to trap— you know, back in the, you know, the 1800s, early 1900s, uh, they would have to get to the height of land. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so Lab- Labrador in the interior is like a big plateau, and everything kind of runs to the ocean. Uh, you know, runs to the Atlantic Ocean to, on the east. On the north, it runs to Ongava Bay. And on the south, it runs to St. Lawrence, to the Gulf of St. Lawrence. hmm but on the, Atl- on the Atlantic Ocean side, uh, you know, in order to get to the interior of Labrador, you have to climb to the height of land, just like these trappers had to do to go in and get on their trap lines. And it's a big climb. Uh, it's something like, you know, you climb 2,000 feet above sea level in uh, in only like 170 odd kilometers. So you're climbing quick and all these rivers are steep and full of rapids and Anyway, so I, th- I felt like that was a good
0: idea. <laughs> and, uh, well, it's shorter than seven hundred, isn't it? It's like, well, yeah. yeah.
1: So, so I said, you know what? I'm going to cross the whole peninsula. That was my plan through the waterways with the canoe. The, the raft would have been too small to carry sufficient rations, mm-hmm. unless I was going extremely lightweight and relying more on the land, and uh, which I wasn't ready for. You know, I mean, I do rely on fish and birds and stuff, but I mean, probably. 80% of my food or a little more than that is rations I take with me. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so I wanted to, to experience what those old trappers did. And I wanted to climb to the height of the land. And I hadn't found much information on, on anyone who had done it solo. Not that, I'm, you know, I'm out there to be the first to do this or first to do that. But I knew it was a rare occurrence. And I like just like going back to my love of getting to the NHL and doing things very few people ever get to do. I kind of wanted to, to to transfer that to this trip and climb climb this particular river that I couldn't find any information on. So that also seemed like a good idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what's and the what was the name of this particular river? It was called the Red Wine River. Red Wine
1: so, River. Okay. Yeah, I like did you read the book The Lure of the Labrador Wild? You must have.
0: You know what? I haven't. No, no.
1: What? Have you heard of it?
0: Um, you know, I'm ashamed to say I probably haven't. Well, but I have mark, now, and I'm, just, I'm mark, writing.
1: Mark it down. I am. Yeah. The, the lure of the Labrador wilds. Uh, anyways, that kind of got me fired up about this area, too. There were a couple guys from the States. Long story short, they went up in Labrador in the early 1900s on a canoe trip that went wrong. And I don't want to ruin the book for you or anyone else. <laughs> but uh, they left from the same place I left from, Northwest River. But, uh, you know, they took a different route than I did. Uh, there's a couple rivers you can take to the height of land in this particular area. And the, the, the indigenous people, the Innu, uh, of that area would leave and they would take another river called the Nascapi. But this Red Wine River was, for some strange we- reason, I guess it was a bit of a different route, a bit longer probably a bit more challenging no one really ever used to use it that much Um uh, they'd always take this nascope this bigger I've, I've
0: heard of the nascope yeah yeah well
1: since that since the time of the trappers and and whatnot uh i mean of course the the headwaters of nascope is the smallwood reservoir so it's man-made you know it, it was originally a, a lake but now it's just a big system that runs down to the To the coast of Labrador in a different section that generates a bunch of hydroelectric power. But that changed the makeup of the Nescapi. So it's a lot more shallow than it used to be. So it's not the same river as as the Inu would have traveled and some of the trappers and stuff. So it looked to be more difficult with longer portages. So uh, a bush pilot told me that the Red Wine River has a natural flow of water still because its headwaters – are not the small wood reservoir, which is the case for the Nescapi. Mm-hmm. And he said you'll probably have a little more water there for a canoe. He said, I don't know if anyone's ever done it, but he said I fly over it a lot. And he said there's the portages, don't look too long. There's a lot of eskers. Uh, you know, and eskers are just a, a big ridge of deposited sand and sediment that's left by glaciers. Mm-hmm. But typically not a whole lot of bush grows on these eskers. So it's it's thinned out woods. So he said a lot of portages go over those. So you're not bushwhacking on your portages. You know he was he was half accurate about that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I just went with that, and uh, from there, you know, I had a route in mind. So I just went to the logistics of planning the trip, and I put a request into the Royal Canadian Geographical Society. So. You know, Canadian Geographic sponsored this expedition, which was a big honor for me and to represent, you know, our province and myself. And yeah, and I just started putting things together. So it was actually, a, a, you know, the trip was over double the length of my first one and I planned it in half the time. Hmm. Uh, But yeah, so that was.
0: So the plan was up, up the Red Wine River to the height of land and then and then. Where? Yeah.
1: Up to the red wine, and that brought me to the height of land. Yeah. Then it brings you actually a little bit above the height of land. So then I had to take a very small, rocky system that was in this subarctic type tundra barren. And, oh, it was, <laughs> it was a grind. So I had to take that system. Like, I didn't paddle. It was all dragging down this rocky spot and doing some portages. I took that to Smallwood Reservoir, which is the biggest – body of water in our province uh i do believe the second largest reservoir in the world by surface area Mm. so very very big and uh something like the 10th biggest lake in canada so i had around 200 and just over 200 kilometers to paddle across this massive lake uh like i had one crossing that was 18 kilometers long in open water took me about three hours to do it and that was that was nerve wracking. uh felt Like I was doing like a mini Atlantic Ocean crossing or something, and yeah, from there I went into another system, and then I started having uh, I started to climb another river called the McFadden that got me to the border of Quebec, and then it was supposed to be all downhill from there, uh-huh. but uh, in the fall of the year, in, in, in especially in Labrador, uh, and, and I left for this trip in around, it was the 25th of July. So it was late in the year. Again, you know, I had some commitments and and whatnot. So, but you know, again, when I get something in my mind, I just want to do it. And regardless, you know, of what the outcome might be or what challenges are along the way. uh, Anyways, I got to the border of Quebec. I made it, it was around 900 kilometers. And uh, as I said, in the fall in Labrador, winds are brutal. You know, and, and winter could, could touch down at any moment and when I was on that big lake that small wood reservoir for a couple hundred kilometers uh, I had planned for it to maybe take 7-10 days with good paddling maybe a little longer and it ended up taking me like you know 15 or 16 and I got wind bounded a lot I had on the entire trip I was windbounded for like 28 days of the 83 Wow. and I predicted maybe 15-16 So I ended up losing time and uh, I got to another reservoir in Quebec and that was where I was supposed to take the great whale down to the Hudson Bay. So I was still going to use the great whale. Uh, And by the time I got to Canny Pisco Reservoir, which is the largest body of water in Quebec, winter was striking hard. I mean, I woke up in the middle of August with, with water in my kettle frozen solid. Mm. my boots frozen solid and so winter did come on quick it ended up being the quickest the 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 earliest onset of onset of winter that i was told by locals in around 25 years so all of a sudden it was like overnight it was getting cool like in early september there was snow like september 1st just you know some flurries and temperatures were, were, were around zero minus two minus three you know, I had I had sufficient gear, but then it got warm, like temperatures like 15 degrees like this, around the 10th of September. Then after that, things just plummeted. And in the last 21 days of my trip, uh, you know, the temperature average like minus 6 and minus 7 every day. For those last 21 days, it didn't go above zero, only twice, mm. twice the last 21 days. So things started freezing up. Winter started setting in and eventually I struck ice and I couldn't paddle any further. So I had made a thousand kilometers of my trip and, uh, yeah, I was in a tough situation. Like I didn't want it to end. Uh, you know, I realized I was racing winter this mm. the entire trip and that had, that had a certain appeal to me too. And, uh, but it came and that was it. I was stuck. You know, I felt good in mind and body. Saki was fine. You know, it was getting cold, but we had what we needed. You know, I, I was half in the mindset. I, I had made one snowshoe myself.
2: Huh.
1: And, uh, you know, I was getting, I don't know if it was an unreasonable un, unreasonable mindset or the mindset where I just didn't want the trip to end, but I was thinking and, you know, waiting for things to freeze up and just keep them going, you know.
0: But there's, right. that, there's that transition period isn't there where it's 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 too icy to paddle but it's not icy enough to not paddle
1: well and that's true yeah. uh, but, but it was only it was only would have been a matter of a week or two and i mm-hmm. would have been able to skirt along some of these lakes but you know it was you know and i knew that wasn't the right decision you know i mean i didn't again I, i'm safe about this stuff and i know there's family at home and you know, for anyone who follows me, I, on these trips, I have I have nightly updates on my social media from my inReach Explorer, just with a quick sentence describing our day and letting everyone know where we're to. So not only my family and my friends know, but people who have followed me online before know that, I, that we're safe, you know, me and SACU. Yep. So uh, I just realized that, you know, this is it. And I can't, you know, me staying in here is not, you know, it's not the right decision. And uh, so I had to, you know... Bite the bullet and uh, a float plane, which I had originally arranged to come and get me, couldn't land because some of the smaller lakes and ponds were frozen, And some of the big ones st- still weren't. But where temperatures were around zero, they couldn't land, you know. Mm. Uh, like their their, uh, their floats freeze up, uh, you know, as soon as they hit the hit the water and stuff like that, where temperatures were around zero. So it's just unsafe for them. So I had to get a chopper to come in and pick us up. Huh. So we got airlifted uh, into the closest community that was like 270 kilometers away.
0: Mm. I remember that post on Instagram actually, with you stood there with a background of sort of ice, sort of snow-covered landscape um, on a kind of rise or a small hill. Was it? Or you had your little flag and all your gear, and that was kind of reluctantly the end wasn't it
1: it was yeah it was yeah one of the the, one of the toughest decisions I've I've ever had to make you know because you know I mean you got to be like again you got to be safe and responsible and to me it's still a success the trip is and the experience no doubt I mean it's about what happens along the way and everything was amazing but I just didn't want to throw the towel in you know it's not me but you know, I kind of had to, and as you can tell there on that little tiny hill, little mountain there, I had uh, I climbed up, and you can see from the picture that it's no lie. I mean, you know, we mm-hmm. were struck with it. we were struck with one storm that dropped thirty centimeters around a week before that, and as it was, I had to hike to that mountain in probably a good foot of snow. I had done a portage when I the portage I'd done before I struck ice on a small lake. You know, I was walking over boulders that were snow-covered, and I took one fall that was, you know, could have broke my leg, you know. So it, was, it just wasn't safe, and that was it. But, yeah, we got picked up, and, you know, I, I knew it flying out. I had like an hour-and-a-half chopper in this little tiny chopper, my first time ever in a helicopter. It was pretty cool. <laughs> and I could tell. I mean, lakes, most lakes were frozen over. And uh, three days after I got out, they had another 30-centimeter snowstorm, and it didn't look back from there. Temperatures plummeted, snow mm. kept piling up, and we would have been in tough, you know? Yeah. So,
0: and it's been a cold winter over there this year, hasn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a bit of a some sort of polar vortex happening there now. Mm. I think we're only getting the, the side of it, but, like, you know, Labrador and Quebec and Ontario, are, and, like, the prairies are getting hit real yeah. bad.
0: Yeah, I've got friends in northern Ontario, and it's it's been really cold there. So. Yeah. Colder than it was last year, for sure. So, but yeah, so yeah. So what? What next? Then are you are you going to attempt it again or other other
1: I've other got a lot plans? Of stuff now, you know. I have. I got a lot of, you know, I guess experiences and things that I want to share to people, you know. And I also documented that trip. Right. And I have that footage with a production company in Ontario right now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I, I think it's, 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 de- it's definitely unique and I enjoy doing it and, you know, I like sharing my passion in our province and so I'd like to get that out there somewhere and, you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, cause last year I tried the same thing with the Newfoundland stuff, but I mean, I just didn't necessarily like all the ideas, you know, people want to change things up and I just kind of wanted to do it, you know, my way. So that's why I went with YouTube. Yep. And that's kind of what's happening now with this next stuff. And, you know, I just have, a, you know, a lot of content and I want to tell my story. So I think I'm going to spend a little bit of time over the next, for 2019, I think I might take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'll do some small trips. I'm actually going for six days and two weeks on a, on a snowshoeing trip. Uh, I'm not thinking about anything now. I'm just, I guess I'm content, I suppose. Uh, when I left Labrador... I mean, or, that, well, that, I, was, I, was, I was in Quebec at that point.
0: Yeah. Just just for I, listeners, but I mean, that was only back in October anyway, wasn't it? I mean, it's not that long. When we were speaking now, we're recording yeah. in January. That was only October that you finished that trip.
1: Yeah, so only, you know, like four months. Yeah. Uh, but when I left in Quebec, northern Quebec, uh, I left a little mark in the tree in my last campsite, you know. <laughs> and uh, my canoe was actually still up there in northern Quebec in the bush. Right. Strung up vertically in a tree. The chopper couldn't take it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, but yeah, I don't like leaving things unfinished. <laughs> and uh, I see I see a good trip developing there. Uh, but, you know, if I decide to do anything, I'd, I'd like to finish it the way I left off, you know, in the winter. So that's kind of why I'm, like, I'm going for six or seven days now in a couple weeks to test some things out here on the island. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a little trip could be 80 to 90 kilometers long through some trackless bush here in central Newfoundland. And I just want to try some things out and, you know, practice, I guess we'll call it, keep conditioning myself, Mm uh, to maybe go back next winter and, and do it by sled and snowshoe and maybe take a, a canvas hot tent and, you know, Maybe try to convince someone to come with me this time, <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, I'll butter it up, you know so but that's, yeah, sounds good, so that's you know that's where I'm at now, but I'm just kind of I got lots to keep myself busy, I guess, like you know, like yourself, you're continually you're doing things and you're you know you you know you got programs and courses, and you know you got content that you know I just want to keep putting that out there and I'm doing a bit of substituting there and, Mm -hmm. but you know, my YouTube channel is growing and I'm definitely not making a living off that, but I can start to see some of the, some of my ad revenue there. It's a little bit of, you know, some, something for my efforts, you know, and I put a lot of time in the, in that series and I, you know, a lot of editing and so I'm just, you know, chipping away and just trying to, Live the best i can like the next person you know
0: yeah well it's 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 always difficult striking those balances you know both in terms of time uh, financial as well um i yeah. get it I get it yeah um and of course we'll link to lots of stuff in the in the show notes um but what's your youtube channel for people to find it i mean i'll link to it anyway but um if you want to yeah, let it's, people
1: it's just Justin Barber. mm-hmm I didn't really go any. Some people say, <laughs> "Well, that's like my Facebook page." I mean, I tried to change that to Justin Barber, but I also had a lot of followers, and I didn't want to like to lose that base or lose a percentage. You know what I mean? No, I do. And I had it, I had it like in as Newfoundland Explorer, which I, I enjoy the little brand there. Like, I mean, it's I think everyone from our province is a Newfoundland Explorer, and that's the way I like to look at it.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but I wanted to switch it to my name, and Facebook wouldn't let me. Okay. So uh, just because they said my name had nothing to do with the outdoor content, I don't know. Anyway, so I kept that that way. But I went with YouTube. I just went with my name, Justin Barber, and that's where all the all the videos are. And this Newfoundland series, and you know, God knows. I mean, maybe in a couple months, the Labrador one might start going up there, right? Yeah. Which I think I've I done an even better job documenting. I got I got better with the video camera, with sound, and just telling the story and. A much different landscape up there. Well that's a skill in
0: itself, isn't it? The the storytelling and the filming and it 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 is a skill in itself.
1: It is, yeah, you know, it's you know, the lead up and the the bulk of it and you know you know, describing how it all worked out, you know. And that's why in this series I think a lot of times and I don't I enjoy putting the voiceovers in there. I think they're effective and I think they're a great way to fill the gaps. But sometimes I use the voiceovers because I didn't get enough of a situation. You know what I mean?
0: I do. Yeah. I've been in I've been in that same situation myself where you wish you'd got more footage or you just didn't have the camera on or you didn't think to record yeah. something at the time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But if you got a bit of B roll and you managed to get a snippet of the situation, yeah, you can use a voiceover to to kind of fill in the gaps. But you know, with the with the Labrador one, I think i had done a better job there. And But looks like anything else, man, you keep doing something, you're gonna Improve, I guess. You I mean it's just got to keep doing it, you know. And, and filming was, I was all self-taught, you know. Mm-hmm. I never ever took courses, or you know, I watched a few YouTube videos, but you know, you just got to get out there and do things, and that's the only way you're gonna improve. Absolutely. You know, anything, yeah. you know. You know how it is.
0: Yeah, and I think as long as you reflect on what you've done a little bit and you know you think about what what the lessons were and you learn from those lessons then then you do improve if you keep doing the same thing badly repeatedly then you don't improve but That's i think true. <laughs> but as long as you reflect on what what was important what worked what didn't what are the lessons how can we do things differently next time that maybe tweak that or improve them then yeah you keep on getting better and you don't get those prompts to get better unless you go out and do the stuff in the first place you can't you can't sort of theorize about how you make something better without the baseline experience to start off with that you then build on and i think that's something that a lot of people forget about that you can't get good you can't go from zero to hero by watching other people's experience ultimately you've got to go out and do it for yourself
1: you do you know you, you gotta you just gotta start you know start and you know and be consistent i suppose and make mistakes and and take a few chances you know because i mean if you're not taking a few chances i mean you know with regards to putting something out there or you know like i said when i started the youtube and i didn't want to put a video out there but i just done it and realized people like it you know but it's it's just taking chances and trying things and messing up and receiving feedback and you know using the feedback that's constructive not the the trolls out there <laughs> there's
0: plenty of there. there's a lot of yeah. unhappy you're right there are a lot of unhappy people out there um, yeah. and it's so. often expressed in youtube comments <laughs> yeah
1: no doubt but uh yeah you just gotta get out there and keep doing it and i mean so all i can say for anything like that just yeah. just put the, put
0: the time in and yeah, and oh. you mentioned you mentioned oh. Al Humphreys. I mean, he he's he's been a big proponent of doing just little adventures, just getting out. And he, you know, his term of micro adventures is you know the big trips are great, but you know if you can get out for a weekend or a you know a short trip, you get good experience from that. And I always encourage people, you know, whatever they can do to get out, even if it's just an overnight or a couple of nights out, you, you still get some rich experiences from doing those things as well
1: yeah great absolutely great idea he had there with that yeah. and and i think and i and sometimes you know because uh, people may think i mean i'm not out to prove anything when i do this i mean to the go these long distances i just do it because i like to do it i love mm. it right yeah. and, you know i'm sure some people might get that impression like you know he thinks he can go across newfoundland you know i, I can do that too or why does he want to do that you know what i mean and but I, I try to plug in on my pages as much as possible, but it that it doesn't have to be eighty three days or seventy days. Just go for a night or two. It's about getting out there and just getting away from you know everyday life and and taking a breather and and like you said a minute ago, about reflecting, right? Yeah, because that you got to get out and you got to be in the quiet and the stillness and away from all the other distractions that we have, TV and phones and emails and and just take some time to sit back and. Whether it's to be to enjoy the the outdoors or to hunt or to fish or to hike or just to take some time to get your ducks in row in life and reflect and I mean that's when I was in Labrador I felt like I lived my entire life over <laughs> I, had, I had a lot of ta- a lot of long days paddling just me and Saku and you know I may talk the ear off Saku but of course unless I start hallucinating he's not going to talk back <laughs> 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 so. Uh, you know, and I there was days where I just thought and reflected on every little facet of my life. And I told, like, you know, my girlfriend, when I came back, I felt like I lived my entire life over. I reflected on my earliest days of being outdoors, my childhood, playing hockey, going to school, my more more recent life experiences. And, you know, it's it's nice to take some time outdoors and just reflect too, you know, yeah,
0: it, is. it doesn't, it's have good. To be, doesn't have to be long, you know, no, it's good thinking time and good. As you, as you say, it can be very therapeutic. I, I've done that. You know, I've, I've done hikes where I'm hiking along all day, sort of pretty much talking to myself and discussing things. And yeah, anybody watching would probably think you were mad, but it's, 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 it's very useful time. Definitely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah
1: you're going on a trek soon or you went on one for a week in the mountains or was that, I thought I seen a picture on your page a little while ago or maybe some couple of years ago, you went for a, a few days solo in. yeah,
0: that was, I, I think I was post, I, I post, you know, I I'd sort of post photos like we all do. I think that was from a trip that I did last beginning of last year. Um, if it's the one I'm thinking you're talking about, yeah, I was making a particular, particular point um with that photo but yeah i mean i i've got a few trips planned this year nothing nothing massive you know i've got things with with you know groups of of students and then i've got a few things of my own planned as well i've i my personal thing is that i i used to you know i came to the whole bushcraft thing from the perspective of wanting to up my skills i was interested in survival skills when i was a teenager and then i got into i guess maybe more mainstream outdoor activities, you know, mountain biking and hiking and hill walking and stuff. But then I was as I was doing bigger sort of backpacking trips and often on my own. And I just felt like I wanted some more skills and that's how I came around to the bushcraft stuff. But it was always from the perspective of wanting them, you know, for, for journeys. And what I've realized latterly is that I'm doing a lot of teaching of the skills, but not doing a lot of, I'm doing journeys with customers but I'm not mm-hmm. really doing a lot of journeys for myself anymore, because I've just kind of run out of time. And so one of the things I'm trying to do more of now is just do do journeys for myself. So yeah, I've got a few things, a um, few things in the in the works for this year. Nothing nothing huge because I've got to fit it in amongst work and 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 whatnot. But. Um, yeah, and again the stuff I've got planned at the moment is solo because like you say, trying to find people that are available at the same time that wanna do the same thing, that don't want to compromise on what you want to do, it's hard. So Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well that's good though, that you get some things on the agenda, oh, yeah. you know. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, you gotta take that time for yourself as well. You know, yeah, I think for, for me, you know, if you know, as somebody who, you know, teaches people outside a lot and guides people outside you just end up giving a lot which is great but you need that time for yourself as well doing yeah that. yeah yeah
1: well that's that's why you started doing it in the first place right? exactly yeah.
0: yeah
1: and uh you know that's i'm sure i'll have those times in life you know as as, as the days go on where yeah. I, I can't do it as much as i you know because you know whether i'm because i'm home making videos you know <laughs> yeah. but uh well, yeah. if you
0: want if you want to get a message out there, it's a great way of doing it these days. You know we've got this fantastic opportunity that we never had before. You know even 20 years ago we didn't have this opportunity. Can you imagine trying to you know film something yourself and distribute it yourself to the world? And you can do that now. You know you can go with your dog, do an amazing trip with a with some really amazing quality video gear compared to what was available even for cinema, you know, 30 years ago, oh, no. and edit it on your computer at home and upload it onto the internet and people can watch it in their homes ra- around the world. I mean, how crazy is that?
1: It's, for, it, for people who want to create things and be an entrepreneur, it's the greatest time to be alive right yeah, now
2: yeah.
1: in this, in this day, you know, the reach you can get from your house and your computer, uh, you know, I mean, and I mean, I do a lot of that. I get up. I've, I've done speaking, and, and you know, I do other things as well. But you know, if you want to create content from your home, I mean, you you can reach a very large audience. You know,
0: absolutely, absolutely, internet,
1: very interesting for sure.
0: Mm. But to inspire people to get out, you know, just going back to what we we're saying before, if you've, you know, the same with the gear. I mean, there's a lot of things that stop people getting out. People think they have to have all the right gear. they they think they have to have done. 27 training courses in canoe skills or you know and it and it, it's an impediment and I think you know one of the cool things is you going out and doing a big trip is that it inspires people they might they might not want to do 70 days or you know 80 days or what have you but they think well if that guy you spent like all this time where you didn't really go outdoors and then you kind of reconnected with it and then within a relatively short period of time you were doing increasingly big trips that's quite inspirational for people that think okay well actually i can go out and do things okay i might not want to do 700 kilometers but if i want to go and do a week or two weeks yeah i can do that and i don't need all the best gear in the world and i think that's that's enabling for people so the fact that we can get that message out there youtube and podcasts and things it's, it's fantastic it's really good yeah
1: absolutely man but- you know it's Bar- barriers out there, I guess. Like I said, people don't think they have the best gear or, or the best skills, or, you know, it's you learn by doing. I mean, you know, you got to be safe again, but just go out and do things yeah. and you'll and figure it out. And it's the best way, you know. It's like when I was taking my education degree at the university here, and we had to go and do all these courses in school, I didn't really learn how to be an effective teacher until I went out and, and went on a work term, you know? Mm-hmm. and but it relates to anything else you know you just gotta you know you can take courses and they're good to have some stuff i mean i have like a wilderness first aid and and i done those canoeing courses in my physical education degree but i mean majority of this has been self-taught and you know reading books and the internet and but i mean it's i've it's only been and sometimes i forget that i've only been really serious at this stuff for like five years of my life Mm -hmm. and i feel like i've you know I've done a lot. I became a little bit obsessed, Paul. Uh, <laughs> I have that type of personality. I get kind of hooked and addicted to, you know, like you know, good things, of course. Yeah, we're not talking about, but uh, you know, I just, I, you know, I really enjoy it. But yeah, it's just about getting out there and doing it. And you can start with, mm. with, with not much. You can start pretty simply and just go out and experience it and work your way up and push your limits and bit by bit. Yeah baby steps you know
0: yeah and when you when you're teaching kids in school are they aware of some of the stuff you've done do you share that with them
1: yeah oh yeah over the last couple years now uh you know i've always when i've uh, i've been around uh like i was on a replacement last year for four months a teaching replacement a teacher had got injured uh that was the last four months of the school year last year and uh they were all over like they I, uh, I, you know, I go in and I'm not a big person. I don't really want to be talking about myself. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I do want to insp- encourage them and, and whatnot. I mean, I may I, I may ask them the question, who goes outdoors? You know, who likes to go out and hunt or fish or mm. start fires or build shelters? And then from there, I mean, I may spin off things I've done. And a lot of them have found out, though, through over the last couple of years what I've been at, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, uh, yeah, I mean. I encourage them to get out, and but I mean, in Newfoundland, especially in the community I am now in central Newfoundland, it's you know it's a big outdoor-based community, and P- and they get out a lot. They do, yeah, you know. That's good. But they're still, they still, you know, it's that generation. There's still a lot who don't, and uh, that's definitely a target audience, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, I've done I've I've done presentations at schools. Uh, I actually have one now in in March in Saint John's. Uh, spoke at some schools, and I imagine once, uh, you know, as we I have these couple of books coming out there next in the summer, and uh, the, the Saku's book, which was, I guess I, you'd call me a co-author, I didn't write <laughs> anything, I, I gave
0: the information. Tell me about the books, what's going on with the books.
1: Well, uh, so I've, I've written one on the Newfoundland expedition, the 68-day trip.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I just kept a diary, and you know, I got back and... What a what no better way to relive the trip but sit down and think about it as, as you type what happened. I mean, I don't, and I had never written anything significant before because I didn't really enjoy it, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: other, other than some blog posts. And I mean, there was one S- essay I wrote in, in university on obesity, and I found that kind of interesting because, you know, I'm a, of course, I'm, a, I'm an active person, and uh, and the effects of obesity anyways, that was interesting, but other than that, there was nothing I really enjoyed, so I got back and started writing about this Newfoundland trip, and next thing you know, I had a manuscript, and through the jigs and the reels, I don't know if you know what that means, a saying we say here, you know, through the thick and thin, mm-hmm. I uh, I contacted a, a publisher, and uh, yeah, it was actually the, so... That book's getting published, the one I wrote on the trip, which is going to go behind the scenes and, and tell more about what's not shown in that video. And it's going to be some uh, some gear lists and talking about some of the equipment and some of the situations we got ourselves in. And, you know, more of my thoughts of how I felt and, you know, how I thought Saku felt. And there's some Newfoundland history in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, a, a local author approached me and she said, i seen a side story developing, maybe a children's book about your dog. And, uh, so she's the one who got me in contact with the publisher who, who right away was interested and we signed a deal. And, uh, so I have mine coming out this July and it's going to be a, they're going to be released on the same time at the same time. Mm-hmm. And Saku's is going to be called like Saku's great adventure or Saku the Explorer, or it's <laughs> tentative, but, uh, that's going to be a children's book. So I'd like to, once that comes out next fall, I'd like to get out and make a, a, a tour around the schools of our province, the uh, the primary elementary, you know, the K to six kind of thing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and share my experiences some more. And that book's going to have a lot of facts on the land. It's not only going to be talking about our experiences with like illustrations of me and Saku, you know, and it's it's going it's it's written from Saku's point of view, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but it's going to have a lot of facts on the geography of Newfoundland, the history and some of the Aboriginal peoples, and so it's going to be very educational too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm big, I'm big I'm big on that and you can tell in my videos. I mean, I like to squeak in some facts whenever I can, whether it be on the wildlife or the landscape or Yep. Yeah, so that's mm. two two books on the go, right?
0: <laughs> so you fairly you've got you got enough to keep you occupied then. Yeah, you know,
1: I you... do, right. <laughs> I've started writing one for the Labrador trip, you know, in my spare time, picking yep. away. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah, so I can't, I, I can't stop. I'm like, you know, I, don't, I feel like you're probably the same way. Yeah, uh, it's
0: it's kind of a compulsion to, uh, yeah. And there's never, I mean, I, for me, the issue is I'd never seem to have enough, I've got more ideas than I've got time for. And same. Yeah, it's, it's kind there of frustrating.
1: A friend of my father, I spoke with him last year, and he told me probably one of the m- most useful pieces of advice that I've heard in a while with regard to just, you know, achieving a goal in life and, and moving forward but he said the most important thing you can do is focus on just a couple things because it's i want to do a bit i want to write i want to have a few pictures i want to have videos and this and that i want to speak but like you like you said justin you only got so much time uh but he told me like he he, he owns a construction company and you know he's i don't know if he's in his early 60s now but he said there was a lot of things he wanted to do in his early 30s, and he, but he was trying to do everything. And by the time he was 40, he was like, if I had my time back, I just would have tried to focus on a couple aspects instead instead of, you know, half a dozen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So he was, you know, and I took that, you know, I really stored that one in the bank. And I've been trying the best I can to focus on just a few things as much, and, you know, and sometimes it's hard, especially with the internet and you click one link and then you're on another link when you're supposed to be editing videos.
0: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, many of the websites that, are, you know, are popular on the Internet that we spend time on, they've had hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars spent on optimizing how good they are at distracting us and keeping us on them. And, yeah, they're, they're, they're optimized to steal our time. A lot of these sites, for sure.
1: Uh, you just got to focus, you know.
0: Yeah. But it's a good it's a good point you know it's a, a similar thing that's always in my mind is that you know like say you've got an idea of you know there are uh, six projects you could do you know and you know say you know some of them were writing some of them were you know video or, or what have you if you if you start them all at the same time it might take you a year before you get any of them finished but how much time have you actually spent on any one of them well probably no more than a couple of months and none of them have come to fruition until a year down the line and you've got nothing to show for it. And so it's much better to do one thing, get it done in two, two months and have that out there in the world. And then that's kind of working for you. And then you're on to the next thing. And you
2: then couldn't. by the
0: time you get to the end of the year, something's been out there nearly a year. Whereas if you do every try and do everything all at once, nothing's there. There's a void until a year later and then you're building on nothing so yeah it's 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 good advice to try and focus on one or two things at once and just be doing those things because you'll actually they'll actually you'll get more done eventually and this is i have to i have to remind myself i have this conversation with myself regularly that you know you got to finish stuff before you start something else otherwise the thing that you haven't finished just takes longer and it doesn't do you any good and it doesn't do anybody out there any good either you know they're not you know if you're trying to get a message out there you're trying to help people share your experiences you've got to get it out to the world haven't you otherwise it's not helping anybody
1: you couldn't have explained that any better <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't have. and you know that's that's the approach i took with that book last year i mean i wrote the manuscript in probably six months which was pretty good mm. Like thought and uh and then I had to edit edit it and all that fun stuff after. Well, I mean, I did some preliminary editing before I sent my manuscript in. But uh, but I was six months because I had sent my Newfoundland footage out to some companies and they were taking time to go through it. So other than a bit of speaking I did, I just really tried to focus on uh, – and I believe I heard this from Humphreys, tr- just trying to get 1,000 words in a day. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I'd done. And some days I did 3,000. Mm-hmm. But I just picked away at it. Uh, from like, September until like m- February or something. And next thing you know, it was done. And now I have two things, you know what I mean? So if I would have just been doing that and then trying to put things on YouTube and, you know, doing everything, it probably wouldn't have happened.
0: Yeah. You know, you'd have, you know as Dick, you know, right? Everything <laughs> would be half arsed and nothing would be done properly. Yeah, I get it. Uh, yeah. yeah. You
1: know, you know Dick Pronicky? Yes. You've watched his videos? Yes. <laughs> One of his big he one of his well it's not him, I guess, whoever's doing the voice over there. You know, in Dick, Dick's perspective,
2: mm-hmm.
1: what does he say? He says Too many men try to do too many things at once, but they don't you know, but they don't focus on one thing and focus on doing a good job on that one one thing, you know? Yeah. I don't know if I did any justice to what I was trying to say there, but Basically, he's like, you know, because he was out doing that log cabin, and that's all he was focused on was building that log cabin. Yeah. Now he obviously had doesn't didn't have the distractions we have, uh, being out there and <laughs> disconnected in in the middle of Alaska. But, you know, that was his that was the message he, he had there. I just thought about that actually randomly, but too many people, you know, and are just they don't finish a job. You know, they don't f- stick to that one thing and finish it. They just mm-hmm. kind of get sidetracked easily, but suppose that makes sense
0: it does it does indeed it does indeed yeah so yeah fewer distractions get outdoors have some time on your own it's good for everyone
1: challenge yourself
0: indeed indeed so lots to look forward to then in terms of what's coming out from you more videos more books and yeah. I'm um excited yeah and you're and your upskilling and i think that's another important thing i i often say that to people about short trips you know you you can use them to upskill for bigger things that you want to do and um more data i have a i have a friend that i do quite a few trips with and we always one of the, we have this silly phrase that's like now now we have more data you know it's just like more data you know we can we can use that and feed that into what we do next so uh, yeah yeah
1: well you know right from the start of our conversation I told you how this all began besides the canoeing trip I mean it was one night <laughs> in the woods on my own with a, a knapsack from Canadian Tire that had three holes in it and uh, a pair of rubber boots that probably had holes in them too and uh and I just built up from there one night two nights three nights it's not like I went one night and I said I wanted to go across Newfoundland no you know I, I had done you know a, a 14 day trip self self uh, supported you know so yeah you got to you just got to take baby steps and, and be patient and get out there
0: absolutely absolutely it's yeah. it's,
1: it's free other yeah. than the quit you know <laughs> i used to be a big gym goer you know and when i was playing hockey and i was training myself you know my working out and running and lifting weights and stuff but uh, I don't do that no more my exercise is outdoors and yeah. I don't kind of I don't got to pay any gym membership you know you I, bu- I buy a pair of cross-country skis I pay you know what I, I had I bought a set for 350 odd bucks uh you know that's probably you know 10 month gym membership right there yeah but now I can use them for four or five years I've had them for two years and I'm after using them dozens of times I don't pay a cent when I go out
0: no, and it's great exercise as well.
1: And it's a, one of the best aerobic, anaerobic exercises. Mm-hmm. You can. And I got the girlfriend hooked on them, and she loves it, and we go all the time. We take the dogs, and it's one of my favorite ways to travel the woods now, and I, yeah. I might use those on my little trip now next in a couple of weeks if, if there's enough good powder around because mm-hmm. things are kind of – we had some rain here recently, so the snow is a bit crusty, you know?
0: Right, yeah, so there's – freeze thaw cycles yeah yeah it's not so not so much fun on the skis when it's like that
1: no sure you can walk around now with your boots on and and, and, in like probably five or six feet of snow in the woods right it's all hard as a rock
0: wow okay but uh that's it man yeah well enjoy you know there's always it's never the same two years in a row is it there's always there's always more to experience out there so yeah enjoy you got to enjoy what's there i think that's the the lesson, no, there's no point wishing it was powder or wishing it was this, that, or the other. It's you just got to make the yeah. most of what's there. Any any given time, I think
1: you can make a million excuses. You know, it's too cold, or it's yeah, yeah in the office.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, Justin, I think we'll we'll kind of bring it to a to an end. There, we've been talking a fair while. If people want to say hi and hit you up on the. Interwebs, where's a good place to to say hi?
1: Well I'm on I'm on the, the classics, you know, uh Facebook at uh the Newfoundland Explorer is my name there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh on Instagram, just Justin Barber. Twitter is Justin Barber, and uh you know, we got my YouTube channel which you discussed earlier. That's Justin Barber as well. I'm sick of saying my name now. <laughs> and, uh, and that's yeah. You know, I don't know. I'm on LinkedIn, but no one. That's not really. I <laughs> I don't post there very much. Post no. <laughs> better thing because you know you never know. And uh, yeah, I got a web page: I'm sure you'll have all that linked below.
0: Yeah, we'll link we'll link to yeah. that in the show notes. But it's good, good. So uh, yeah, check good. check Justin stuff out. Yeah, I've been following me on Instagram for a fair while. We can't figure out how, but huh. you no, know, I think you must have followed me, and I saw you. I looked at your because what I tend to do is if somebody follows me, I'll look at their page, and if I think it's interesting, I'll follow them back. And your stuff certainly looked interesting, so uh, that's probably how that happened. But yeah, no, thank you for sharing the stuff you shared, and I've enjoyed following your story. But I've I've enjoyed very much you know, joining those dots and hearing more about it and learning more about what you've done. And I look forward to seeing more of it coming out in the coming months. And uh, thank you for spending the time, Justin. It's been uh, very interesting and enlightening.
1: Thanks, Paul. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity, having me on here and wish you all the best, man. Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you. And I've
1: I've been been enjoying your... uh, your uh, your plant and tree ID, ID posts lately, actually, oh, yeah. you
0: know, cool. Thank a
1: lot of, you. Keep, keep pumping those out there. That's you know, that's people need to, to know that stuff too, right? What kind of edibles to, you know, to, that you can that you can utilize, and you know what certain plants are good for. And uh, yeah, geez, I really the balsam fir and the, and the spruce one. I enjoyed that one because yeah, that's cool. big, big around here. Yeah. But,
0: yeah no they're nope. good trees they're good trees and I think if, if people you know if you if you've got a good knowledge of some of the stuff that's you know widespread um you know because some species are very you know relatively localized but of course yeah. others are pretty widespread if you if you learn those first uh, how to recognize them and what they can be used for then you've got a really good uh, foundation and then of course you can get more nuanced and a bit more detailed locally after that but yeah those big ones you can you know if you know you know if you know 50 plants and you know 20 trees 20 30 trees and, and they've got a wide distribution then you have to go a long way before you can't find any of them so
1: yeah you're become a better woodsman
0: absolutely absolutely
1: But cool. uh, yeah hmm. man keep on uh keep educating and don't uh forget to make some time for a cup of tea for yourself
0: in the (laughs) woods i'll I'll do my best i'll do my best yeah cheers man that's uh, been really enjoyable talking to you man thanks yeah thanks again to justin for taking the time to have this conversation and i hope you enjoyed listening to it too all the links to justin's various profiles and pages on the internet are linked from the blog page associated with this episode at paulkirtley.co.uk forward slash podcast 38 that's paulkirtley.co.uk forward slash podcast 38 and if you liked this podcast please could I ask that you share a link to that page with your friends who might be interested or share it in any online groups, Facebook groups, etc., that you might be part of. It really helps to get the word out about the Paul Kirtley podcast in general, as well as, in this specific instance, helping Justin getting more eyes on his adventure videos. So please share a link to paulkirtley.co.uk forward slash podcast 38, or go there and use the social sharing buttons at the top of the post. It's... It's easy, and it really does make a difference to how many people get to benefit from these podcasts, which, of course, take me and the guests a significant amount of time to produce. And so it really is appreciated if you share that out with the wider world, because then everyone that might want to benefit gets to benefit. And I'm sure if you did like this podcast, some of your like-minded friends would will do so too so thank you in advance for helping spread the word finally just to look forwards to the next episode it will be a new format for the paul kirtley podcast that will be episode 39 and then in the coming weeks there will be episodes with miles irving the author of the forager handbook Tristan Gooley, author of a range of books on natural navigation and nature's clues and signs, as well as Dave Canterbury of the Pathfinder School. They're all coming in the next few weeks. There are also more great episodes in the pipeline too, so make sure you are subscribed. There is no excuse. Subscribe on a podcasting app or platform on your phone or on your tablet, and it means you won't miss an episode. And it also lets the podcast apps know through their algorithms that it's worth showing my podcast to other people thanks for listening really appreciate your interest in this podcast and previous podcasts and i look forward to speaking to you again soon there's lots of good stuff coming on this podcast in the coming weeks and months in the meantime get outdoors and enjoy speak to you soon